The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time. Of course, this is John McAndrew, guest host. And um, today we want to thank our guests very much for taking time and Come to talk to us, Deborah J. Is uh, she has a new book out? It's called "It Takes a Family: A Cooperative Approach to Lasting Sobriety." But Deborah's been around for quite some time and has a couple of best-selling books that many of our listeners may have already heard of: "Love First," uh, and she's also the author of "No More Letting Go." Uh, she's been on Oprah a couple million times in the Dr. Oz show quite often, and and she travels extensively around the country um, for conferences and treatment centers, but has worked with families and worked with family programs at many, many treatment centers around the United States, and uh, I'm very familiar with her work, and uh, she's She's really one of the uh, the pillars in recovery, uh, not only what she does, but what she teaches. So uh, welcome to the show, and Westbridge wants to thank you for taking time to visit with us. Thank you, John. It's just great to be with you today. How did you find time to fit us in today? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, things are really hectic, um, without a doubt, especially with a book coming out. But, you know, this is such an important program, and the work you do is phenomenal. You've got a great reputation, and I am honored to be part of your program today. Well, thank you. And we, we talk about family, and, and, the, and the name of the book is It Takes a Family. And you're going to, we'll, we'll discuss later the structured family recovery. Basically, you give us a, you lay out a year's worth of work for us, uh, for okay. families to work. But let's go way back to the beginning. And uh, for someone like yourself who's worked in this field for a long time, things have changed in 20 and 30 years. The approaches have changed. Uh, Treatment centers have changed. The thoughts of uh, everything happening in 30 days certainly is uh, pretty much uh, washed out to sea. And uh, we realize that you know, recovering for people to recover, to recover takes a long, long time. But how has the language changed and why is it important for you when you wrote this book about what addiction and alcoholism and all that? Well, we know that we've always used multiple words, right, to describe mm-hmm. one disease. So that really is a reflection on the stigmas we place on different drugs. For instance, alcohol is legal after you're 21 under most circumstances, certainly not behind the wheel. But um, so 
you know, alcoholic doesn't seem as bad as drug addict and pot smoker doesn't seem as bad as a heroin addict. Um, So we have all of these different words, but we have to understand that whether we're talking about an addict, an alcoholic, whatever drug we're talking about, we're still in essence talking about the same disease. But I think for people generally... What's confusing is we also then throw in substance abuser. And certainly, you know, we hear it a lot in the press and in just common language. Mm -hmm. And I'm really careful about that word because you can be a substance abuser without being an addict, right? You can be a very heavy drinker and not be an alcoholic. So... I really don't like using that word to describe addicts because typically addicts and alcoholics are also substance abusers. You know, they're because of the nature right. of the disease, they're consuming larger and larger quantities. But I think one of the things that has changed in our field and that I think probably you're hinting at is that we have a new um, popular diagnostic term, which is substance use disorder. Correct. Yes. and. Yeah. I think if you are a researcher, that is a perfectly fine term to use. But, and this is in my opinion, but I think in treatment now, bringing this word into treatment causes a problem. Sometimes I think that treatment in and of itself is very insecure because um, it is so hard to keep people sober, and I know we're going to talk about that, (laughs) that if we use fancier words, we seem more professional, right? Substance use disorder is a very fancy, scientific, research-friendly kind of word. However, I don't use that word in this book, and the reason is is because two reasons. One it's a little phrase that kind of puts me to sleep, substance use disorder. I'm not quite sure in a personal sense what that means. I definitely know what it means when somebody says, hi, my name is Jim and I'm an alcoholic. That really resonates. That's making a statement about myself. And the other thing is that language fits into the 12-step meetings such as Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. And I really believe, John, that in treatment, our number one job is to make sure we're supporting the 12-step programs in the work we do with alcoholics. Or they leave and they feel even more disoriented when they try to plug into the recovery community. Right. Right. Well, and you mentioned here as well uh, with the language Substance use disorder sort of romanticizes something that it takes yes. a little of the reality of what's going on here. And I know disorders, um, I'm just a lay person, I don't know a lot, but I know that, you know, the new DSM and all that, and there's so many disorders um, to follow, it gets a little mind-boggling with mental illness and substance use, you know all these different right. disorders that we have and i i kind of uh i kind of agree that the that word disorder it just you kind of glaze over after a while cuz it it becomes pretty ambiguous with so many so many things going on but i when oh. i read this i saw how important it is to clarify this before we begin to start to work on solutions you know for the family um we're talking about a disease that kills uh a lot of people 
and that many, many people that come out of treatment relapse. And we, the word relapse is also sort of glazed over because sometimes relapse is, is not a, uh, a very happy ending, obviously for That's the right. families, right? That's right. Yeah. We never have, when we talk about relapse today, and this is such an important point, John, I'm so glad you're bringing it up, because when we talk about relapse today so often in the treatment world, what we are hearing is it's a normal part of the process. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I think there's a good reason why people are saying this, and it's, it's coming out of the relapse rates and the insecurity about relapse rates. However, when you talk to a family, if you're to tell them this is a normal part of the process, they're going to say, this is not okay, because they understand that with relapse, There is so much pain, so much uncertainty, and so often relapse asks families to pay a price they never thought they'd have to pay. Terrible things can happen. And maybe it's not death. You know, we always jump to death. Families can splinter and fall apart over relapses and never come back together again. You know, it's one of the greatest losses when you lose your family. There's so many things that can happen, and we have to understand when we're talking about relapse, this is very serious. I say to people sometimes, when I'm speaking around the country, I say it's getting to the point where I think when people are talking about addiction, they're talking about a friendly little puppy dog, and it is not that. This is a deadly disease, and what it does to families, anybody who is living with somebody or has lived with somebody who's active in their addiction, they know that it's pure hell. And even the smallest children pay dear, dear prices. So we have to put relapse in a proper perspective. Uh Relapse is part of the disease. And when relapse occurs, we know something is missing from that person's recovery program. Right? Right? It isn't like cancer, and I've heard people say that, but you know what? You can do everything right. The doctors can do everything humanly possible, and the cancer can still come back raging. But what we do know is that for the majority of people who work a solid program of recovery, as it should be worked, they stay sober. Mm -hmm. It's when something's missing And not everybody does it perfectly. We know that. But when something's missing, it's the disease that's going to rear its head to say, I'm back. You know, I'm back. This is not, what you're doing is not keeping me in remission. Right. You talk, you talk about the missing element, which is a phrase you use for one of the chapters. And uh, you talk about an interesting program of some physicians that were in recovery and uh, this program, treatment program that, that the physicians went through, and th- this goes back quite some time. And, uh, and you know, you talk about this, uh, the, you know, the, the basic essential, the eight essential elements for this, for this PHP program for the physicians, which turns out to be pretty enlightening, doesn't it? Uh, well, it's extremely enlightening because... Yeah. We know that just the average person going through treatment, okay, 50 to 90% are going to relapse in the first year. Those numbers are staggering. 
correct? Correct. But then, so then going back again to sort of relapse as a normal part of the process and normalizing this. But then, John, we have this group, physicians, addicted physicians under the category impaired professionals, right? Addicted physicians. And when a physician is addicted and this comes to um, the awareness of the right people, they will be sent to participate in what's called a physician health program. And what that really means is that there's a program, they're advocates for physicians. And Dr. DuPont and a group of people, and Dr. DuPont, by the way, was kind enough to write the foreword of this book. Um, They followed addicted physicians for over five years in 16 different PHP programs. Each state has its own PHP program for their state, for their physicians. And the thing that's amazing, really amazing, is that in five years, 78% of those physicians have no relapses whatsoever. Now compare that to regular folks, 50 to 90% relapse in the first year, five years, physicians, 78%, no relapse, 15%, only one relapse. So we're that's gonna, almost all of them. Yeah. We're going to take a little bre- a quick break here, and when we come back, let's talk about what those the elements of this are, because those statistics uh, are pretty eye-opening. And, and when we come back, we've been talking with Deborah J., and we're going to talk about, we're, we are talking about her new book, It Takes a Family. And when we come back, we're going to, We're going to pick up on these eight essential elements of this PHP uh, program. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. How many times have you heard this? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You are what you eat. I've tried every diet. Diets don't work. It's time to stop this kind of madness and start thinking and feeling empowered to change your health. Tune in to The Raw Truth with Chef Sharon Fraser. Join us weekly for thought-provoking conversations with world-renowned experts in the food, medical, holistic, sports medicine, chiropractic, and naturopathic health sciences. The Raw Truth airs live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. We've been talking with Deborah Jay about her new book, it takes a family, a cooperative approach to lasting sobriety. And before we go any farther, uh, her website is debrajay.com, D-E-B-R-A-J-A-Y.com. And you'll see uh, kind of what she's been doing and also about her past books, which are all bestsellers. And you wrote one of those with a, with a man named Jeff Jay. Yes. You might tell us a little bit about real quick. Um, that is my husband, Jeff Jay, and um, yes, we co-authored Love First, which came out in 2000 and then the updated in 2008, and that was written for families um, about intervention and, you know, really became a huge seller, and that really meant a lot to us because that really came from our heart for families, what it really is like, and if, if you don't mind, if anybody's interested in intervention and looking at that, uh, lovefirst.net, N-E-T. But Jeff is, you know, my great inspiration. He got into recovery very young, and he's 33 years sober, and he's worked in this field for over 25 years. And, um, you know, yeah. just I just think, I just thank God all the time that his family stepped in and intervened on him and saved his life because because of that, I was able to meet him 10 years later and marry him. And, you know, sometimes I say what we do to help the alcoholic, it changes the future, and it certainly changed my future. And you're really a powerful couple. So if you go to those websites, you can see what both of you are up to. And it's a great resource if uh, families are looking for help, looking for interventionists, looking for treatment centers. You list a lot of numbers. and places around the country. So uh, I kind of uh, encourage everybody to do that, even while we're listening to the show, so you know kind of what we're talking about. And let's get back to these, this physician's program, yes. which they're, they're staying sober longer. Um, they're staying And the numbers sober. are really almost uh, just flipped from what other treatment centers were doing. So tell, tell us about this, the eight essential elements and what you learned from those. Absolutely. And if I can just say one thing before I get into that, because I know there's some people out there right now that are thinking, well, of course they stay sober. They're physicians, right? Yeah. They're going to know to stay sober. I want to let people know that physicians are some of the hardest people to treat. They do not make good patients. They do not like to follow directions, <laughs> and when they come to treatment, they're much sicker because they have almost an endless supply to drugs, and they also, people around them really enable them and cover up for them because they're physicians. So physicians are actually higher risk for relapse than most other people, so just to right. keep that in mind. That's but very the good eight to know. essential elements... I want to say each one of these, we know it works, but 
the physician health programs are the first to say, we're putting all eight together in one program, and then this is going to be a long-term five-year program. And really, it is the holy grail of recovery. And um, do, you, do you want me just to quickly, briefly go through what these yeah, yeah, essential elements it'll, are? Yeah, it'll, it'll really help us to understand, you know, the, the workbook part of the end of this book and, and what you give in this year long, I think it'll really give it a good basis of where you got this from. Absolutely. For the family members, we incorporate this in what we call a recovery plan that everybody in the family does. Um, but what they learn is, number one, first of all, with doctors, they identify and they actually write this down on paper. What are the positive rewards for recovery and what are the negative consequences for relapse? It is laid out, it's on paper, and the doctor understands this is not about punishing me. This is about what I earn, you know, by Mm -hmm. my recovery program. So it's very clear. So for a physician, for instance, they can lose their, an ER physician might lose their rights to work within the ER facility, you know, as a consequence. Family members, we can do the same thing, and we can say, for the addict, for instance, what would the consequences be? A wife could say, you know what, you and I, we love our children so much that we know today, and remember, the addict is sober, not a treatment at this point. We know today that we do not want the disease in the house with our children. So if you relapse because it lives within you, you are going to have to leave the house until you return to recovery. And once you're in recovery, we welcome recovery back into our home. So you see, it isn't a finger-pointing thing. It isn't a punishment. It's this is what we're going to do because it's right for our lives. Whereas with recovery, all the kind of wonderful things that are a are the good things about belonging to a family start coming together again. The happiness, the fun we're having. Um, a student, for instance, the parents may say, now we're ready to start paying for you to go back to college. Um, so there are all sorts of things, both in the professional world and in the uh, family. But remember, John, the family members do this too. If I relapse into my enabling behavior, if I start dropping emotional bombs and making emotional messes out of our family, I'm relapsing in my Al-Anon program. So we write consequences for ourselves and rewards for our good Al-Anon programs as well. The other, number two, frequent random drug testing. I cannot tell you how important that is. When we work with people and they do that, they stay sober in much, much larger numbers because they know when they think about using, they think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get drug tested and I never know what day that's going to be. And so it works for doctors. It works in our families. If somebody relapses, guess what? We catch it really, really fast. And so there's not a lot of damage done, damage done but we jump right back in, get them right back. We have a relapse agreement, and we get them right back on the road. Same thing with doctors. You know, re-intervene. What do we need to do? Right level of support. Let's get back on the right path. Um, interestingly, with doctors and, I, and structured family recovery, and in, in the book, It Takes a Family, is all about this. Doctors are required to work a program in a 12-step 
group, such as AA or NA, and to abstain from all mood-altering drugs. Right. This is huge, and they're very active about this, John. I mean, they are, I love this, because they want to match somebody up when they get out of treatment with another recovering doc so that they have the yeah. most positive experience going into AA. They're with another doctor. They're looking at this person whose life is back on track, their career is back on track, and they're like, I want what you have. So we say to families, let's hook your beloved out of treatment with somebody they can really relate to, you know, in AA so they feel good about it right away, and then they plug in. They don't feel nervous or who are these people. They just feel great about it. Mm-hmm. Um, number four, and this kind of goes with number three, good role models. Sometimes recovery mentors, these are people that are in recovery themselves, oftentimes um, also experienced uh, clinicians in the treatment field, and they say, come on, I'm going to bring you to AA. I'm going to get you plugged in. I'm going to get you interested. I'm going to get you over the hump because it's a scary thing to do, and a lot of people don't do it because they're just scared to death and they don't know what to think. So you see how this all makes sense. I mean, we're talking about alcoholics, but... For any of us, right, and anything yeah. new, different, and difficult that we need to do. And it, be, um, it takes us, it really does take you out of the model, the 30, 60, 90-day model, because you, you continue to go on about modified lifestyles. Some of these doctors may need to change their specialty or get out of this business entirely. Uh, Absolutely. But, but, you know, they're encouraged to think about what's safe for them and then, Active and sustained monitoring. This is the one that's really powerful for up to five years. For up to five years. And when yeah, you talk about monitored. a modified lifestyle, yeah. if you are an ER physician or let's say an anesthesiologist and you're around a lot of drugs all the time and you go, I just cannot do that. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. I have to make a change. That is a very huge leap for a doctor to make, but it's significant because that doctor is saying, if I don't have my recovery, I've got nothing. So when we can say doctors are doing this, you know, we can do this too as non-medical people in recovery. That's right. And then the active and sustained monitoring, five years for physicians, five years. But boy, does it work because this is a chronic illness. Treatment just deals with the acute phase that crisis phase, stabilizing someone, detoxing, you know, educating, um, you know, putting together an aftercare plan. But as you and I know, John, when they walk out that door, nobody in that treatment center knows whether they're going to stay sober or they're not. Right, and And it's very well-intentioned to give people tools, but um, they have to be showed how to use them, and they have to be monitored that they are using them. I mean, is is that a fair assessment? I think it's very fair because, remember, the addict is, in many ways, the weakest link in the chain, right? Uh, We're looking at someone whose brain, and if you ever see the brain scans of alcoholics and addicts, it looks like Swiss cheese. Not that there are holes there, but the activity level is so low, and the ability to make good decisions is so poor 
And the emotional brain has moved out of a positive place into a really negative, malcontented place. And now we're saying, off on your own to do all these really difficult things. And I like to say to families, you know, in this country, when your treatment is to take a pill, only 50% of the people comply. That is swallowing a pill. That's an easy thing to do. But yet, recovery which many people will say is one of the most difficult things they ever did in their life. Yeah. We expect we're going to just send them out there and that they're going to do it all on their own. The truth of the matter is it doesn't work well, and doctors show us that with the right level of support, wow, the success rates can be amazingly good. Absolutely. We're gonna, we've been talking with Deborah Jay, and there's, there's really a lot of information in this book, and I, we, we can't get to all of it, but I think when we come back from this break, um, the family pays a dear, dear price for all this, um, and we want to kind of look at that and discuss it to to kind of set up this program, year-long program of structured family recovery is what it's called, and you've set out this program. It's all in the book, and it lasts for a year. When, when the family is really... Uh, really buys in on this and everybody's working with the same toolbox, um, it just, it works out much, much better. So we'll continue with all that discussion when we come back with Deborah J. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. You read about it in health news every day. Cancer rates are going up. Obesity in the U.S. is on the rise. Heart disease and diabetes are top killers every year. We can follow the advice of our doctor, but cravings persist. Weight goes up and energy is still down. It doesn't have to be like this. Tune in for Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. You'll learn how you can work with your body to feel better and look better, too. Body Balance Talk airs live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. We've been talking with Deborah Jay, and we... We're talking about her book, It Takes a Family. It's a cooperative approach to lasting sobriety. And we're going to, we're going to get into talking about structured family recovery here in a minute. And I, uh, I want to encourage everyone to go to her website, DebraJ.com. And there's, is it also lovefirst.net? Is that correct? Lovefirst.net. DebraJ.com has a little bit of information, but the big information, lovefirst.net, N-E-T. Yes. And her book so is out, uh, and it's available at, on Amazon and all the bookstores, and it's, it comes from Hazelden Publishing, which a lot of people of you know about, the great work that Hazelden does. Uh, That's right, Hazelden. and they have an online bookstore as well, Hazelden, uh, Hazelden uh, Publishing. So if they go to hazelden.com, they can also find the bookstore there, yes. Right, right. So... I'm going to mention, I'm going to say a word here, and it's sort of a word that is just, it has lasting negative connotations to me. <laughs> Enabling. And, yes. uh, you know, it's, it, it can be one of the most beautiful words, a uh, healing word, it can be a shaming word, it can mean a whole lot to families, can it? And it's absolutely integral to them understanding how to start this structured family recovery, isn't it? Well, it really is important because, and I like to talk to, about enabling because we don't really understand it that well. Um, you know, I think sometimes we use words so often that it becomes like a well-worn path and we don't really think about what the meaning is. And enabling, as I say oftentimes, when somebody says, Mother, you are such an enabler, you don't have to know that is not a compliment. <laughs> you don't have to ask the meaning of enabling. You just know that somebody has tisked tisk you, correct? Yep, but absolutely. you know what we don't ask about enabling? We don't ask why is it when families learn that enabling just supports the disease, protects the disease, um, allows it to progress, why don't they stop? And the reason is, and I will tell you, is because we always think when somebody is enabling what they're doing, ultimately is protecting the alcoholic or addict, whether it's their husband, their child, whomever it might be. But the truth of the matter is that isn't where it ends. What happens is for a family member who's close to somebody who's addicted, their life is so greatly affected that at the end of the day, they enable to save themselves. I often use a very clear example, and that example is if you have a young mother, she has three little children, she's a stay-at-home mom, that husband's paycheck keeps the roof over their head and the food on the table, and somebody says you have to stop enabling, she isn't going to do it or she isn't going to do it for long because she knows that if he goes all the way down to the bottom, they end up flat broke. She has no money. She and the children will be on the street. They have nothing. 
so she is going to protect those children, protect herself by enabling her husband. So if we say you need to stop enabling, we better have one heck of a good solution for that family member so that she feels safe or he feels safe letting go of the the enabling behavior. Does that make sense? It sure does. And I, um, you know, you talk about the prices that families pay uh, because of the, the disease of alcoholism and addiction, if it's safe to use those words, and, um, the damage that it does and the price that families pay. And, and you talk about it in this book, and, and maybe you can shed a little more light on this, and just the statistics of the enormity of this disease. I mean, uh, I don't know how else to put it. Well, I'll tell you this right now. In the United States of America, one out of three people lives with or is related to an alcoholic. It's before we factor in other drugs. One out of three. And, pardon me? One out of three? One out of three Americans lives with or is related to an alcoholic. This is not an uncommon disease. It's incredibly common. And... The thing is, we talk and we have over the years about how this hurts family members' health. But you know what else we know today is what it does to the family's brain. We look at the addict's brain and we're horrified. But guess what? The family's brain is being affected too. Family members, they start, um, their brain starts atrophying. They start losing um, the new brain cells made in the hippocampus because of the stress they start having memory problems. But the saddest of all, I think, are the small children. And those of us who grew up in alcoholic families when nobody understood this, you know, we can remember very much what it was like, but nobody understood that while our brains were in such a rapid um, stage of development, that living with the stress and the neglect and sometimes the abuse of alcoholism or addiction to other drugs actually changes the child's brain. They use so much of their brain energy just for survival. And some scientists are saying that they believe that those changes, many of them can be permanent and that these children grow up to be much more anxious, having much more difficulty dealing with stress and problems in their life, problems with relationships, and um, I think a lot of people in Al-Anon would say, oh, yes, I recognize that. That is me, you know, and that's why I need this 12-step program as well. Well, it kind of t- brings us to, um, I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about, you, you talk briefly about the hero's journey, and, and this is a, you know, Joseph Campbell, of course, used it, but lots of people have used the hero's journey as, as a really great metaphor for recovery. And then how, in this journey, um, you came up with this structured family recovery. And you, it's a, I don't know what to call it. It's a year long. You give week by week. Um, it's very, uh, 12 steps is very important in all of this, as I've read. Yeah. Um, you know, one to two to three weeks to really work on the steps. But the family really goes through and takes advantage of, uh, you know, you mentioned in this book the 12 steps for AA and Al-Anon 
are sort of being proven to be one of the most effective methods for this disease, and science is starting to show that as well. So start to tell us about this, the SFR, Structured Family Recovery, and, and why and how you came up with uh, the particular way that you've described this. Well, there are two elements. Well, let me back up just a little bit. I knew this needed to be simple. Now, simple doesn't mean simplistic, and it doesn't mean it's not rich, and that it doesn't give you tremendous rewards. But if it isn't simple, people won't do it over time, will they? We know the 12-step program, you know, is keep it simple. That will create change. So this is a simple program. And it requires two things. It requires the whole, well, first of all, the whole family gets together because now we're enabling recovery. We used to enable the disease. We've always participated in this disease. Now we're participating in recovery. And it's so wonderful because people come together with such gentleness and kindness in this program, which they haven't experienced probably for a long time. So what we have is one meeting a week with the family and, and then the 12-step programs for each individual. Let me talk about the family program first. Okay. Easy, easy, easy to do because we know you're never going to get one family in one place every week, are you? There's right. soccer. Right. People live in different cities, different states. Everybody's coming and going. So the thing is, people get on a conference call, and most everybody has a cell phone. It doesn't matter if you are at the kids' soccer practice. It doesn't matter if you are in bed in your pajamas. You don't need to get child care. You might be taking a walk in the park. You might be on vacation. It doesn't matter. You can get on the one-hour call with your family. Families love this once they start. One One husband said to me, you know, at first I really resented one more thing in my week. He said, but now that I have done this, he said, I cannot believe it. My wife is staying sober and Mm -hmm. my kids say the most amazing things. It brings families back together. And they do very specific things. And that's what's in the book. There's an entire year of every single week what you need to do. It is simple. You can do it with a structured family recovery counselor or without one. But the book tells you when you really need one, you know, if you have special issues. And the other part of it is the 12 steps. And what's really great about this is in the structured family recovery part, we're not pulling out all the dirt. We're not finger pointing at each other. We're not getting into the old arguments. Not at all. We are focusing on ourselves. And again, as I just said, It's with kindness because we so need kindness at this point. What do we do with all the other negative feelings, the anger, the resentment, all the stuff that's normal? And trust me, the addict's angry with the family too. That's what you bring to your 12-step program. And you don't just go to a meeting. You work a program. And then the most magical thing of all happens We're not pointing our finger at the addict. We're not saying, hey, what are you doing? Are you going to enough meetings? Guess what? We're going to meetings too, and we're scared. And we don't know about asking that person to be our sponsor. It makes us a nervous wreck. So now what happens is we have this incredible 
empathy for our beloved alcoholic, our language has completely changed. They're like, yes, I have found this sponsor. I'm scared to death to ask yeah. her. I know what you mean. You see, there's this empathy. But there's yeah. also accountability. There are behavioral expectations. We're expected to do these things. So there's accountability. And I think also what ends up happening, which I think is marvelous, is this very healthy competitiveness. Oh, my God, my addict's got a sponsor, and I don't have one yet. I've got to get a sponsor, you know. If he can do it, I can do it. And it changes everything with the family. The family comes together. They start enjoying each other. Um, They start having fun. They start laughing. Yeah. And Deborah, Deborah, I'm going to just cut here. We're going to take a break. Okay. And, and uh, this is really uh, just really tremendous stuff. And when we come back, why don't you tell us about the opening and closing statements? Because the first word is structured. So this is very, very structured in the book. Yes. And for the families that hopefully pick this up, you will see that it is simple. It is structured. There's some rules to follow with an opening statement and a closing statement. And... Uh, I think people, we have a lot of people that are in recovery that listen to this program. Uh, I think you'll see all the elements and how uh, this is a beautiful thing, bringing the family together. So we'll be back here in a minute with Deborah J. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Do you or someone you love struggle with Alzheimer's disease or some other disorder? Many times, there is not an adequate support forum where you can learn from and discuss topics from top guest experts. Tune in to NeuroMatters, The Brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Although thought of as a disease that affects only older individuals, increasingly, symptoms are being found in people who are in their 40s and 50s. Get the answers. NeuroMatters airs live Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. This is John McAndrew. I'm your guest host today with Deborah Jay, and we've been talking about her book, It Takes a Family. 
and uh, we've discussed uh, quite a few topics, and in the last section, we, we started to actually talk about what she presents in this book. I think it's a 48-week, basically a year-long, very yes. structured program for families, and uh, for the folks, like I said, when I when I left, we've had a lot of people that are actually in recovery themselves, and I think they're going to see a lot of uh, similarities in this, and Deborah, I wanted you to follow up as we got to talking about this, and I may ask you to just maybe sample a week or two out of this in our last segment, but why? what is the importance of this opening statement and a closing statement, and why, uh, why do you have that for the families? Why is that an important part of the structure? We want to open up with our expectation of what we're doing, how we're behaving, Mm -hmm. what we're going to do when we leave, so that people understand in every meeting meeting, what is the expectation. This isn't loosey-goosey. We don't want family members who have probably been hurting each other over and over again in the addiction, Mm -hmm. um, because that's typically what happens. We don't want people doing that again. So this keeps people on track. Do you want me to sample some of this, or? Well, you know, and I, and I just th- this opening statement is similar to I've, I've seen these sometimes described as a comfort statement. It's kind of the rules of the ball game, isn't it? Sort exactly, of? and it does yeah. create a lot of comfort, you know, because the first one it says our team meetings are confidential. We are bound not to discuss what is said here to non-participating family members, friends, or other persons. Observing confidentiality. We create an atmosphere of trust and safety. That's so important for family members that I can be honest with you, not only about my strengths but my limitations, and know that you will support me. And also know that those words will not go beyond our family meeting. Right. And then you start on time. That's one of them, right? Absolutely start on time. You know, we're not sitting around waiting, and if somebody's late, well, that can happen to somebody, but we don't. You know, if you're if you're late once or twice, you're probably not going to be late again. You want to get there on time. So, but it's basically saying I respect you. With addiction and trying to survive addiction, respect goes out the window. We can't worry about respecting anybody when it's survival. So, just being on time says to a family member or all the other family members, I respect you by being here on time. It also says I'm taking responsibility for myself. Right. You know, and, and using we only I, talk. You- Using I statements, right? That's right. So I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. What am I doing? Um, And that, we know, is what goes on in 12-step meetings, too. Um, And I'm not going to talk about you. I'm talking about me. That's where my power is, and people can really listen when I'm talking about me. And I also warn people, no I statements that are thinly veiled you statements. In other words, I would like to be able to trust everybody in this room, but I find so many people untrustworthy. You know what I mean? I'm really talking about you and I'm using an I statement. We don't do that. We don't do that. And this Uh, I don't know, and you're going to have to explain this to me, the red-yellow-green light protocol. Now, this is about... You don't just drop a big bomb in the um, middle of the without anybody knowing about it. So can you explain that to me? I... In structured family recovery, we obviously realize that 
things can be going on that need to be discussed, usually around relapse or relapse mm-hmm. signs that a relapse might be coming. So we want to be able to open the door to that, but we also realize that family members sometimes can drop bombs, and I think part of it is maybe just not knowing the right way to handle something, but also for family members who are so used to crisis all the time that it feels a little boring when there's not a crisis in the beginning, and they can create crisis. So a few things can go on. Red light, green light, red light, yellow light, green light. What it is is it says before the meeting, this must be discussed with a structured family recovery counselor. If you're not okay. using one, you're going to have a team chairperson. One of those two people, there has to be a discussion. If it's red light, it's not appropriate for structured family recovery. So let's say husband's really mad about all the bills his addicted wife, you know, right, piled up right. and he wants to bring it to this meeting. Well, you know what? That's something that happened in the past. We don't deal with finances here. We think what you need to do is discuss your feelings about this with your Al-Anon sponsor, but you and your wife together need to work it out with a financial advisor. So see, this isn't becoming a big bomb, like she's racked up $30,000 in credit card. That is not going to happen in that meeting. Yellow light means, okay, yes, this is a real issue, but we don't know if it's right or wrong for structured family recovery, so we're going to give ourselves some time to think about it and Mm -hmm. not bring it to a meeting right away. Green light is like, yes, this is definitely about the here and now. It's related to relapse of the addict or family Al-Anon relapse, and we need to talk about it in this meeting. But we also prepare, because if we're worried about somebody, they've already written down to the team, this is how I want you to talk to me if I'm in trouble. So what we do is we go, okay, let's look at, you know, Sam's instructions to us. This is what he wants to do. Let's follow it. So, and Sam has actually even written a letter from his sober self to his future relapsing self. We never expect relapse will happen, but we're smart enough to be prepared for it. So even Sam's sober self will now be talking to him. You see how that works? Yeah. Very and Deborah, respectful. you know what? Our time has come and gone, okay. and, and the closing statement is, is called The Promises, and uh, I think people can find that. It's, it's uh, in the big book, evidently. It's got an asterisk there. And, and I encourage families to really look at this. It's, it's 48 weeks. It's very, very structured. And, uh, I, you know, I'd venture to say that one week of this would be very helpful, but to put this into action for a year. The name of the book is It Takes a Family, A Cooperative Approach to Lasting Sobriety, written by Deborah J. And, again, her website, uh, I think lovefirst.net is, is the first one to go to, and then deborahj.com. Deborah, thank you so much for taking time to visit with us, and Westbridge thanks you very, very much. Thank you, John. This has been a pleasure. All right. Goodbye, everybody. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.